Uh, I'm going to pray now for us too. Uh, would you join me? Father God, thanks for your word that uh, speaks to our lives, the salvation that we can have through repentance and faith in Jesus, the life that's promised us in him and the way you want us to live our lives now. As I preach this passage from Philippians chapter 3, we pray, Father God, that you might speak through me words that are true and clear, helpful and for building your people up. Lord, we pray too that by your spirit you'd work in all of our hearts, minds, lives to live out what you ask us to in this part of your word. May it happen for the glory of Jesus. Father, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Please do keep your Bibles open at Philippians 3 and from verse 12, which is what we're looking at today. I wonder what your goals are in life. Is it to uh, get a job? We'll have the first slide up, please. To get a job... uh, Maybe you're at the other end of life and maybe it's actually to retire well and enjoy not working. Or is it to find a girl or a guy and get married? Is it to be a good parents, good grandparents? Is it to uh, build a family or build a business, a career? Maybe it's to save for that home or, or that holiday. What is the greatest goal that you are working and striving for in your life? Today in our passage, we read of the Apostle Paul's goal and the prize he's pursuing, and it's one that we should reach for too, more than any other. If you were here and remember last week, from verses 8 to 11, Andy said that the goal is to know Christ now, and being with him, being with Christ, is the final destination. That's our precious pearl. And in verses 10 and 11, the Apostle speaks, Paul speaks about resurrection as the goal. Gaining Christ and resurrection life with him was what Paul sought. It was his hope. It's our Christian hope. And now in verse 12 and following, Paul elaborates on this and he wants to correct any misunderstandings. And as we move through the passage, we'll see Paul move back and forth between what we do and what the Lord does, what we are to do and what the Lord has done, and what he will do. And what we do is because of what the Lord has done, and what he will do. And I hope you'll be encouraged remembering our salvation, and strive for what is to come. My first of three points today is pursue the goal. Paul's already said his goal is to gain Christ and his resurrection. And now in verse 12, Not that I've already reached the goal, he says, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because Christ has, Christ Jesus, I've been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. A goal is what you seek and run after. It's what you pursue, isn't it? And my mind went to Forrest Gump and you may remember he runs across, he could run, couldn't he? But he also, Later in life, he ran across America like five times. And when interviewed in the movie about his motivation, he simply states that he felt like running. He had no real goal or purpose. Well, in 2002, a US man named Rob Pope, his mum was dying, and she asked him to do one thing in his life that would make a difference. In 2016, he started doing something else that no one else, started doing something no one else had done. And he copied Forrest's 
huge 15,000-mile run, running for charity. He completed it. He wrote a book about it. He ra- and raising money for charity is a good thing. But pursuing and running after and obtaining life in Christ is better. Think about this. Forrest had no purpose. Rob Pope had a purpose. Paul's purpose is incomparable. His his goal should be our goal. And he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. For Paul, for any of us, sinless perfection is not possible in this life. Not possible. In the context of the letter, making progress to perfection, it's about love and service and godliness and the gospel things we've touched on already in this series. It's about pursuing personal holiness. Really, it's a complete restructuring of what it means to be human and to flourish as a fulfilled human being in relationship with God and in living his way. Paul says in verse 12, Christ has taken hold of him. When we trust in Jesus, we grab hold of him. I feel like that picture, that's Rob Pope running across America. But when we trust in Jesus, we grab hold of him. And he actually grabs hold of us so that we are eternally safe. I ask, have you, by faith, grabbed hold of Jesus? Have you grabbed onto Jesus to save you? When you do, he takes hold of you. He takes hold of you. And now Paul wants to take hold of that future, that final salvation, which he doesn't have yet, but that future and final salvation of being with Christ in heaven. Paul's goal is pursuing perfection and glory with Christ in heaven, and he will pursue it by living for Christ now. Is that you? Is that true of you? Do you want to know Christ and be with him and please him now? Or maybe honestly, you'll only please him when his plans line up with yours. Having goals is good. There's many good things that God would have us do, but living for him and pursuing life with him is the greatest. I ask, do your priorities need to change? In verse 13, Paul says, I haven't made it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. For Paul, forgetting what is behind, it may refer to what we looked at last week, like in verse 8, remember Paul's law-keeping and zeal to live as a Pharisee. Obey God's commands. Or it could refer even to what he's already achieved in gospel ministry and in growing godliness. For me, I don't want to now at 46, or if I make it to 70 and retire, I don't want to think, Lord, I've done enough. Lord, I've done enough. I'll live for myself now, thanks. Do you find yourself focusing on your past. For us also, a bereavement or bitterness 
or past sins can also keep us focused on our past. While not forgetting those things, we are to focus on and reach toward what lies ahead, God calling us to heaven in Christ Jesus. Life in God's heavenly and eternal presence is the prize. We need to keep that end in view and not get distracted from our goal. We need to keep our eyes on the finish line with no self-satisfaction, no self-congratulation, no perpetual relaxation, no thinking the job is done, I'm good enough, I've done enough. We need forward focus. Now, I am no long-distance runner, but a woman called Lynn Coick writes of her running half marathons. Half marathon, told, is about 13 miles or... Or it is 13 miles or about 21 kilometers. Lynn says, In my first two half marathons, when I was in the 12th mile, so right near the end, she said, Every muscle begged loudly to walk or to stop. And when I bent my head to stare at my feet, my, my pace slowed and my, my resolve flagged. But when I kept my eye on the distant building that marked the finish line. Then I continued. I was able to remain mentally tough and eventually cross the finish line. So that last mile was a a pivotal lesson in the importance of focus. And in verse 15, Paul says, if we're mature Christians, we we will think this way. We'll stay focused on growing in Christ-likeness now and on gaining Christ in the life to come. And if some think differently, well, Paul trusts that God will guide them into the truth as they humbly acknowledge that they got it wrong. In verse 60, he says, verse 16, he says, whatever truth we do know, we should live consistently with that. In, In other words, exercise your own judgment. If you know something to be true, then live it. Our belief and our practice should match up. To walk the talk, let let your beliefs and your behavior match up. If you know Jesus is Lord and one day you will see him face to face and he wants you to please him now, do something about it. Do it. Please him now. You see, we need focus and purpose on pursuing the goal of Christ-likeness now, serving him now, being with him in heaven that awaits. How are you going at staying focused on that? It's not that you can't have goals to build a business, get a job, build a home, desire marriage or a holiday, but Christ should matter more. Think about him more. Fill our, he should fill our hearts more. So the joy he gives comes from him and not from those things. Maybe like some of the Pharisees, sorry, some of the Philippians, you've stopped running the Christian race with a focus on the finish line. And maybe you're walking. 
or even if you're here today, maybe honestly you've actually stopped running. You stopped moving. You're actually sitting in the middle of the track, staring at something else. Do you need to humbly acknowledge that you fall short in your thinking and your living? Do you need to confess to God that too often your goals are focused on less important things? And know that there really is forgiveness and life by grace through repentance and trusting in Jesus. But maybe you've stopped pursuing Christ because you've actually honestly been imitating poor examples. Next point is people to imitate. Verse 17, look at that. Join in imitating me brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul instructs them to imitate me, and that's because he follows Christ as the perfect and ultimate example. Remember, we were told that back in chapter 2, verse 5. And while imperfect, certainly, Paul was a visible and tangible expression of Christ-like character and behavior and commitments to God. And it's not only him, though. For the Philippians are told, look at those who live according to the example you have in us. Remember, Paul's already spoken about the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and there's other mature Christians in the church. Look at them too, he says. Imitate them. Many years ago now, I used to be a scientist. I love nature, God's creation, and one of God's amazing creatures is the stick insects. Yes, they are both stick insects. They really look like sticks. They move like they're a stick swaying in the breeze. They're adapted to imitate a stick to avoid being eaten by predators, surely. They are great imitators. We too are to be imitators, not of sticks but of godly examples of Christ's likeness. People who display Christ's likeness and a hope of heaven, they're the ones we're to imitate. When you think of people who have been serving and giving, people who've shown faith and love and joy and hope, care and commitment to Christ, who is it that comes to your mind? What examples have you followed? Who have you imitated in your life so far, your Christian life? Maybe it's been a youth leader. When I was 18, 19 and at uni, I was grateful for the godly examples of men like Peter Leslie and Brad Jackson at La Trobe Uni. They were mentors and leaders who were not perfect, but people whom I could follow as they followed Christ. Brothers and sisters, we should also be examples ourselves. And may we never cause others to stumble. Never cause little ones to stumble because of our sin. The example we've left. Instead, are you an example to others of Christ-like commitment? And commitment to him? Or honestly, have you become apathetic in your walk? With him, have you become slack in your sanctification? 
careless in seeking Christ-likeness. What should change for you? Then Paul warns the church of the danger of some bad examples. Some people should not be imitated. Look at verse 18. He warns them with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. We assume that they've even claimed to be Christians. Maybe they were the anti-Paul preachers back in chapter 1. Maybe they were among them. But surely what we saw last time in chapter 3, verse 2, those evil dogs who pushed circumcision on believers. That their end will not be heaven, Paul says, but destruction. That is eternal and irreversible separation from God forever. And what have been their goals? Well, he says, doesn't he? God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on earthly things. God is their stomach. Maybe they were focused on those Jewish food laws to seek perfection or to avoid persecution. Or maybe they were gluttons and drunkards. It seems they are being driven by their bodily appetites and impulses and that they're doing things they should be ashamed of. That may refer to sexual sins or even just boasting in themselves. It seems they don't talk about the cross and they're unwilling to suffer for the gospel. I think it's likely that there were some pagan converts who, in the church who were returning to their old ways, focused on food and sex and earthly things. And we too, we can focus on and go after earthly things, can't we? I mean, people, we go after, what do we see? People and Pleasures, possessions, power. It's with a me first, my pleasure now, desire and pursuit. That that pull of the world is strong. Whereas for people who trust in Christ crucified, the, the message is, say in Romans 6 verse 2, you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Or in Galatians 2, I, I, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We say no to sinful desires and we exercise our minds and our will to pursue godly goals. And we imitate people who exemplify that. I think of an older Christian woman. Her name is Lexi. Not at our church. She had her husband go through a long illness and pass away in his early 60s. But as a widow with children and grandchildren, Lexi loved her family. She joyfully, regularly cared for her grandkids, loved them deeply, but it went far beyond that. She, she kept in touch with, she called and visited other widows and widowers at church. She made meals for people. She gave lifts to people. She dropped flowers to people. She helped a man with cerebral palsy. She served in the church kitchen and all of this quietly and behind the scenes and never to be noticed. 
She had her own health troubles and yet she didn't complain about them. She was and is other person-centred, seeking the good of others, busy doing good, while displaying kindness and gentleness and patience, faith and hope. She was a great role model to me and my family if my kids remember her. She inspires others to godly love too. Who is it for you? Look to godly examples. Be an example yourself. Final point is perspective on the future. Having said that the enemies of the cross will end up in destruction, we're told now in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship, it speaks of our, our unity and our commitments. It speaks of our place, our future. And trust in Jesus actually makes us citizens of heaven. And we wait for more than that. We eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is coming and his return is our future hope. And by hope, I mean it in the biblical sense of a guaranteed certainty. Christ will come. It's just a matter of time. Just you wait. And while we wait, we are to remember that that's where we're heading. And so let it affect our present. Live for God now. Because heaven is our future and we will be made perfect there. When Jesus comes again, he's going to transform our weak and suffering, imperfect, lowly bodies. We're told to be like his glorious body. Imagine that. Sinless, immortal, imperishable bodies. Perfect and glorious resurrection bodies. Beyond our comprehension it is. And yet that's our future. And it is just part of the final and great victory of Jesus Christ over everything, Paul says. So live as a citizen of heaven. Live with patient and persevering faith, even in your trial. Live with your perspective on the future and not fleeting earthly things that will not last. And live, chapter 4, verse 1 says, by standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm is a military term and it means to hold your position while in the midst of your enemies or when your enemies are coming at you. I mean, if you, again, if you look at 4, verse 1, do you sense Paul's love and warm affection for his Philippian friends in those words? He longs to see them but also to see them standing firm for Jesus in the face of challenges. And when we are attacked by spiritual enemies, when we as God's people live surrounded by a godless culture with people pursuing other goals, we need to stand firm. Even though the Christian life is a battle, we don't quit 
we persevere in faith and making godly choices. We keep turning to our mighty King, committing to do what he asks, crying out for his mighty strength. John chapter 3 is another passage that speaks of God coming and and how this hope that we have of resurrection life, being with the Lord, it moves us to purify ourselves now, to be like God. It's another verse, the Apostle John saying, that's where your future is, let it affect your presence. Turn from your sin now. So we are to say no to selfishness and sin. God says, live pure lives now, by pleasing me. Pursue the goal of growing Christ-likeness now and God will finish what he started in you. I ask, are you ready for Jesus' return? I was talking with someone just yesterday. I mean, Jesus, he may come back tomorrow. If he does, are you ready? Are you waiting for him, wanting to be with him? Our life now, in the present, is to be motivated by an awareness of the future. And so in other parts of Scripture, we're told to look back, back to the cross. But here we're being told to look up and look forward. We look up to God, up to our reigning Lord Jesus, and we look forward to his coming. We look forward to glory and eternal life and perfection in his presence. To make every effort to take hold of that. Because Christ has taken hold of you. David Cook is a Presbyterian pastor. He was the principal of Sydney Missionary Bible College. He now trains preachers. Maybe he's retired, I think, while he does that. Um, I've better benefited from his training. The first Prezi church where he served as a pastor was in Weewar in country, northern country New South Wales. And many years later, in 2016, David went back there to his first church where he pastored to preach. And he writes, when he first served there, he writes, there were 12 elders when we were there. 11 of them were cotton farmers. Now there's only three farmers in the church one of whom told me that 17 of the past 20 years have been drought years and many shops in town have shut. Some of the old members are still there. One 90-year-old lady had visited a whole block where she lives in town and invited all her neighbours to the church services. The vigorous faith, the steadfast faithfulness is still there in those remaining pioneers and a new generation has arisen to take on the leadership. Here was a church which was prayerful, hospitable, evangelistic, visionary. They grew cotton but they so lived and live that they robbed death of many of its prey by pointing people to Christ. Their work was not in vain. Many of them are with Christ now, which is better by far. And we will soon be there as well, awaiting our resurrection body. One beloved elder 
Harold Freer used to keep me supplied with Bibles, David Cook says. He would send me a Bible every five years or so. And in the last one I received from him before he died, he included these words in the front cover. When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look backward on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses and land and machines and stocks and bonds. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. Nothing else makes much sense. Harold got it. Are you remembering what matters? Do your goals need to shift? Pursue the goal of glorious life with Christ in heaven by living for him now. Let us pray. Father God, as I reflect on my own heart, and I'm sure we all do, we realize our goals don't always align with what matters most, with with what you want our goals to be. And we pray you'd forgive us for the ways our hearts lean toward and run after other things, earthly things. Please forgive us for our sin. By your Holy Spirit, please align our hearts and our will with yours. Change and conform us to be more like Christ. Pray, Lord, that you'd make us more like him in our character now, in our desires now, and what we run and seek after. We pray, Lord, that we would remember if we've trusted in Jesus truly, then heaven awaits us. We pray that our future would affect our present and that we would live like heaven is true, because it is. So, Lord, please do a work of grace in us. Give us greater hope, greater love, and servant hearts for the glory of you, our great Saviour, God's name. Amen.